Well, hey everyone, welcome back to another Bible study. Uh, I'm Matthew Johnson, I'm the lead pastor at the Tree Church, and we're so honored that you're joining with us for these Bible studies. So we're going through the book of Mark, and so today I'm going to be looking at Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So if you have your Bible or electronic device, you can turn there. I always encourage people to have a physical Bible, open it up, become familiar with it. It's okay to write in your Bibles. It's okay to highlight things in your Bible. Um, I actually do that every single day when I'm doing my devotions, is I have a highlighter and a pencil. And so I will highlight verses that stand out to me for whatever reason, whether it's uh, God challenging me or it's in a verse of encouragement or I just need it as a reminder. I'll highlight that, but then in the margins of my Bible, I'll use my pencil and I'll write uh, different thoughts. Uh, so sometimes it's a thought that I might use later on when I'm teaching from that uh, passage of Scripture or it might be something personal to me. And, uh, and I write in the Bible, and it's okay. It's not disrespectful at all. It's just a way to become familiar and for the Word of God to become really truly active and alive in your mind and heart. So I encourage you to do so. Uh, all right, so let's dive right in. So in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, it says, Again, he, being Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. So let's just kind of talk about what's going on in this moment. Uh, Jesus is entering the synagogue. The synagogue was a place of worship for the Jewish community. So the Jews would have had a temple. Uh, the temple was found in Jerusalem uh, during the seasons of their existence when the temple was in operation. So there were certain times in their history when the temple was destroyed, um, and then they rebuilt it. And so there were some times when they didn't have a temple. But uh, when it was in operation, uh, they would go to the temple to do sacrifices. So that was a very specific type of ministry. They would go and make sacrifices for their sins. Uh, this could be on a daily basis, or it could be during some of their festivals and ceremonial things that they were celebrating, uh, such as some of the big ones, like the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would go into the temple and the Holy of Holies and make a sacrifice on behalf of the entire nation and all the people and their sins. And so there was the temple worship, and there was times that people would go there, and they would pray there, and different things. Okay, so the temple was in one location. They, were, they only had one temple, because the temple also had the Holy of Holies, the, the most holy place in the middle of it, where the, the presence of God would dwell. And uh, if you're part of our church, you heard me teach on this numerous times. In the Holy of Holies, only one person, the high priest, one day a year would get to experience the presence of God so all of that was foreshadowing of, of what would later come, where we would become the temple of God and the Holy Spirit would dwell in us and every believer would be able to experience the presence of God. So they had one temple. The reason I'm saying that is they also had other places of worship that they would call the synagogue. And the synagogue, um, actually the, the phrase and the word that's used for it um, is very similar to what we would call a church in the sense that the synagogue would, in some sense, represent the people of that community that come together to worship, but it could also represent a building. And it's very similar to how we use the word church. So if you understand the church in a biblical concept, so in the Greek word it's ekklesia, uh, it's a gathering of people. So in the biblical sense, the church is a group of people that are united for a common purpose, but we also use church to reference a building. So the tree church is a group of people, but then there's also the building that has the, the even the, the big sign on the front that says the tree church. And, um, and so it could, be, it could be referencing both. So in this situation, it's representing the, the building, the place of worship that people would go. At the synagogue, there would oftentimes be a person that would take 
uh, whatever scrolls of Scripture that they had available to them, and a, a person could get up, one of the religious leaders, and take that passage of Scripture, read it, and then teach on it. Um, there could be prayer there. There could be uh, other forms of worship there. Uh, it also was, in some ways, a community building. They could have joint meals together there, and um, it, they could have even a place where they had to judge things. Uh, it could happen in the synagogue. So Jesus and his disciples would often go to the synagogue. At times Jesus would teach, and, uh, and other times he would go probably to interact with people. And so this is where this story is taking place, is Jesus is walking into the synagogue. And the day that he's going in is a Sabbath day, as we'll see in a moment. The Sabbath day is the seventh day of the week for the Jewish community. Uh, for them it's on Saturday, and it is a day of rest. When God created the earth. Uh, he created the earth and all that was in it, and the universe did all that in six days. On the seventh day, he rested and then set that forth as a creation ordinance that from that day forward, that day was declared holy. And what God wants and wanted, so he still wants this, he wanted his people to take a day a week and to rest. And uh, it's just a, a way of being refreshed. This is the rhythm that God created us, how to operate, that we go hard for six days and we rest for a day. And, um, and so that was a creation ordinance. Then that became a part of the law of God as he gave it to his people. So again, I want to remind you, it was a creation ordinance before sin ever entered the world. Then it also became a part of the law, part of the Ten Commandments. And then after that, uh, it just I believe it continues to be a rhythm that God wants us to honor. But what happened in the Jewish community is their religious leaders added layers of rules to all of the laws of God and specifically about the Sabbath day. They added many layers to this. So if God said don't work on the Sabbath, they started to define what work looks like. And um, it could be, I mean, even I referenced this this past Sunday when I was preaching at our church, that um, in the current Jewish community, even flipping on a light switch on the Sabbath is considered working. And so they will instill, install in their houses motion detector lights or lights on timers, so that they don't have to flip a light switch. Well, obviously, the Word of God never said that. So that's a man-made law. Um, and so they added many, many layers to the laws of God. And, and that's just giving you some context for this story that we're about to see. So Jesus walks into this place of worship, the synagogue, and there's a man who has a withered hand. Um, we don't have any other detail except that he just has his hand. So we don't know if it was in an accident. We don't know if it was just a birth defect. Um, whatever it is, this guy had a hand that he could not use. So in verse 2, it says, And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So who's the they? The they, as we'll see in this passage, are the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious leaders in Judaism. So these were the, the Jews that followed the law strictly, uh, they knew the, the laws of God very well. They would have—it was a very competitive culture in order for you to be a Pharisee or a religious leader. When you were young, all the kids would go through a process of learning the Torah, the Scriptures, and those that were like the brightest and best would continue to advance in that process, and it would constantly kind of whittle itself down to the, just the best of the best of the best. And so by the time they became adults, they would have followed a, another Pharisee or a rabbi, another leader, followed them and become a disciple of them. And then as they grew in knowledge and experience and also influence, one day they would become a religious leader as a, a Pharisee. But these Pharisees, as we see in the time of Jesus, they really began to no longer have the heart of God. They understood the laws of God, the rules of God, 
but they didn't understand grace. They didn't really understand the nature of God. And so instead of bringing freedom to the people, they brought oppression to the people. Um, there's a, a passage of Scripture where Jesus says to take upon yourself his yoke. Uh, a yoke is, uh, in their culture, would have been that wooden device that you stuck on the shoulders of the, the animals, the bulls or the ox, the, to pull uh, when you were uh, tilling your land. And, and Jesus says, take on my yoke, for it's easy. And what, what he wasn't saying is following him is easy as much as what he was saying is this responsibility that I'm giving you, you can accomplish. It's easy because it's based on grace. Well, the yoke that the Pharisees put on people was heavy because no one could ever attain it. They put a standard on people that no one actually met, and then they portrayed themselves as holy uh, to the point where they're saying, we're actually doing this, and it's an illusion because these men weren't actually doing it, but they would do outward things that would model for people and give the illusion that they're super spiritual. So they would fast and make sure everyone knew that they were fasting. They would tithe on every little thing in their home, even down to their mints and sp- or their spices and uh, seasonings. And uh, they would pray dramatic and long prayers in front of other people. And then they would condemn other people, uh, pushing them down as if lifting themselves up in that moment. So this is the group that now as Jesus walks in, their hearts are hard toward him, even though he's God in the flesh, because he didn't fit in their box. And so they're looking to disqualify Jesus rather than seeking the truth. And Jesus, he didn't fit their box, and so they disqualified him. Uh, if you were part of our church this past Sunday, and I know many of you are going to be listening to this Bible study uh, in future weeks, even months or, or years, uh, but in this past week I was talking to our church, and I was talking about how all of us process information differently because we have a different filter. Uh, our filters are shaped by our upbringing, by the culture in which we live, our experiences, and so we, we process information differently. Well, this group had their own filter, and Jesus didn't fit the box, didn't fit through the filter that they had created because he was threatening their way of doing things, their way of thinking, their influence with people, and they didn't like it. They didn't like the fact that this nobody from Nazareth was coming and stealing their thunder. <laughs> so they were rejecting him. So in this moment, they're looking at Jesus, and they're wondering if he's going to heal this man so that they can accuse him of doing something on the Sabbath that he wasn't supposed to do. Now, let's be clear. There is not a single command in Scripture that forbids anyone from healing someone on the Sabbath. And and actually, just the opposite, as we'll see as this story goes on a little bit. And so we get to verses 3 and 4. And he says this in verse uh, 3. He says, And he, Jesus, said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And Jesus said to them, so this would be the Pharisees, he asked them this question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. In this question that he's asking them, they know the answer, but they stay silent because the answer, the truth, would disqualify their position. So here's the question he's asking them. On the Sabbath day, are you allowed to do good? And they would have known from the law of God that you were. You were allowed to, on the Sabbath, something as simple as if one of your animals went and got himself into trouble. He got stuck in a a bush, fell over into a hole and needed to be helped out. You were able to go and do something as simple as that. It was good to help this animal. It was not considered a sin. Um, If there was an emergency and your neighbor needed you, you were able to go and help them. This would not be considered a sin. 
So it wasn't the perspective of God for on the Sabbath for everyone just to sit down and, and to watch people, even if they're hurting and in need, and just go, well, it's my Sabbath, I can't help you. So just the opposite. To, to look at something good that needs to be done and to not do it would have been evil, and that would have been a sin. So what Jesus is saying is he's asking this, this group of people, they know this man with the withered hand, that he has a, a legit need. His life would be made substantially better by Jesus doing a miracle, healing his hand. And this group so ignored the good so that they could potentially find the evil, even though it wasn't truly evil, so that they could accuse and reject Jesus. Now, we have to just take a, a moment and look at all of these passages through a, a first look at it through what it's being taught about these people and this interaction. But then we need to use it as a mirror to our own life where we look at it and say, OK, so how does this apply to me? How, how is this a, a truth that challenges me? And when we look at this, the question that I, I would pose is, what happens when Jesus and his commands, they don't fit our filter? So what if we're using another filter, another box that we're trying to put Jesus in? So maybe the box that we're using is just our own personal preference. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be challenged where we have to make sacrifices. Uh, maybe the perspective we're using is a political perspective. That's a, a hot topic right now in our culture, that a lot of people are, are actually, they're whatever party they're a part of, they're, they're that before they're Christians. And so they're saying, well, Jesus, your teachings don't fit what I want to do with my political leanings, or, or Jesus, your, your teachings don't fit with how I want to respond to this person who's done evil to me. So what do we do? Do we look for ways to disqualify Jesus so we can do our own thing? Because this is what this group has done and is doing. And so Jesus asked them the question. They remained silent. And then it says this, And Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So let's just acknowledge a couple things in this verse. First, Jesus was angry. Now we need to understand this. Jesus had emotions the same way that we did, and do, I should say. So Jesus has emotions. You know, even now in Scripture, it reflects that God has emotion uh, at times with us. So we look at this and we go, okay, Jesus had anger. But what's different about his anger than our anger? Well, it says in Scripture that the anger of man does not produce the righteous life that God desires. And the reason that is is because our anger is rarely focused at unrighteousness as much as it's directed at something that hurts our desires, something that inconveniences us. Now, sometimes it, you can have righteous anger, but we don't always direct it toward the evil. Sometimes we direct our anger toward people, and it causes us to act in an ungodly way, and so it's, that's a negative. But what we see with Jesus is his anger always, the times that we see it in Scripture, when he clears the temple— his anger is always focused at unrighteousness, and it's always controlled. It always has a specific purpose. Also note that Jesus, being sinless and being fully God and fully man, has a right to do things that we wouldn't even have a right to do. And so in this moment, he was angry. He didn't sin. He was, just, he was angry. This situation stirred his emotion, but then it also says he was grieved. And the reason that he was grieved was for a couple of reasons. One is this group was missing their opportunity to know Jesus, to know the Son of God in the flesh. 
uh, the passage of Scripture that, that talks about Jesus at the end of his ministry, where he looks over the whole city of Jerusalem. He goes kind of to a high point, and he looks out over the city, and he weeps. And the reason that he weeps is because he says, if you would have only known what was available to you that you guys missed, the coming of God in the flesh. This is the same emotion he feels now. He's grieved because of their behavior, but he's also grieved because of their insensitivity toward this man who's hurting and suffering. And and God would still, to this day, he's grieved when we don't have a sensitivity toward those who are hurting, those that are suffering. And, and so Jesus tells this man to stretch out his hand, and he does, and his hand is restored. And then in verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. So they go out, and they have a meeting with this group. Now, this group, there's a little bit of mystery around them because they're only mentioned a couple of times in the Scriptures. But I think at the bare minimum, what, what most theologians assume is Herodians are named after some group that was loyal to Herod, who would have been the king in this region of the Jews, still under the Roman authority, but uh, Herod was the king of the Jews as appointed by them, the Romans. And, and Herod was a wicked, wicked man, uh, generationally wicked, and uh, did evil. He put John the Baptist to death. And so this group would have been loyal to him. And actually, and typically, the Pharisees would have hated Herod, and they would have probably hated this group. But it's kind of like that saying that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So they went to this group that was connected to Herod and had influence there. And they started to even try to stir the pot there so that they could eventually, obviously, kill Jesus. And so these Pharisees were so evil that they would use anyone, any means necessary, to try to kill Jesus, even though he had done nothing wrong. And then the story goes on. So that just begins the process of their hatred toward him. But then we go on, and it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and uh, Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from the Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And we talked about this in an earlier Bible study, but what we see is, once again, Jesus had authority even over the demonic spirits. Jesus healed people. He was not put off by their inflictions and afflictions. Uh, He wasn't put off by them needing him. He ministered to them. And then he ordered the demons to stay silent, and the reason he did that was he had the perfect timing of the Father that he was submitting to, and that time had not yet come to make all things known. This is at the beginning of his ministry. And so he ordered them to just to be silent, and obviously they obeyed him. So I pray that today's Bible study was an encouragement to you. Um, as always, I encourage you to not only to listen and to engage and to take notes, but also to share this. And hopefully these Bible studies will encourage you in your faith. We love you guys. And if you don't have a home church, we always would love to have you at the Tree Church. If you're part of our church, I can't wait to see you this Sunday. God bless.